So not too long ago, I held this workshop at WPPI where I gave my top 30 creative strategies to get photography clients as fast as possible without paid ads. And it killed it. It sold out. It was incredible. I've been sitting on it for a little while and I've decided to bring it back, to bring it back and to give it directly to you. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to pay anything either. I just want to help you grow your business each day for three days. I'm going to share with you 10 ultra unique creative ways to attract dream clients to your photography business without spending a bunch of money. I'm calling this thing the three day client blitz and it is pure gold for three days. I'm going to give you so many creative ideas to get clients in your business right now. Just go to sixfigurephotography.com forward slash blitz six S I X six figure photography.com forward slash blitz b l i t z i can't wait to give you some incredible ideas Podcast listeners, welcome to the Six Figure Photography Podcast. My word, how are you doing? I hope that uh, your day is going well. I hope that you accomplished so many things. Thank you for spending time investing in yourself and in your business this day. Like, honestly, I, I, I appreciate it so much. I appreciate that you're giving uh, me any of this attention right now. Look, uh, the purpose of this podcast is to help you grow your business. That's flat out it, right? So we show up every week. We bring on amazing uh, other, well, sometimes photographers, uh, sometimes uh, business owners. In today's situation, we have the CMO of a digital marketing agency. We're going to throw it over to Nick here in just a moment. But uh, this is what's this is what I love, you guys, is there is so much to gain outside of our niche, right? Outside of just like the photography world, the wedding photography world, the portrait photography world, there are people running amazing businesses and it's my job to try to extract their value and distribute it uh, to you. So thank you so much for being here. You guys, today we have Nick Jordan. Nick is the co-founder and the CMO of Logic Inbound out of Seattle. Uh, this is a digital marketing agency, you guys. Uh, Nick, is he's passionate about developing and growing businesses. Yes, even our own photography business. Uh, he's got a million side projects, uh, a few startups, and, he, and I love this. And a one-ride rocket ship as an early employee at BitTitan. Uh, today, Nick leverages uh, his experience building businesses to help companies identify and execute on growth opportunities. Who doesn't want that? I want that. Nick, welcome to the Six Figure Photography Podcast. How are you doing, man? Ben, thank you so much for having me on today. Uh, I love how passionate you were in that introduction. Is, is that just for me? Or are you this passionate with all your guests? You know what, audience, uh, like you'd, have to, you'd have to ask the crowd here, maybe in the comments and the show notes. Uh, <laughs> this is this is me. And I've only had a cup of coffee today, Nick. Uh, I but I, you know what? Like I, we were talking early in the kind of like the pre banter before we pressed record, you and I. And I think I, I genuinely love this. I genuinely am curious about about you, Nick, about what you're up to. And so every time I press that record button, that little red light starts blinking. Like I just get jacked. I get amped up. And so this is very normal. Uh, this is very normal for me. Uh, so so let's ride this wave, man. Let's ride this wave. Nick, are, are you in Seattle today? I am in Seattle today, currently looking at the uh, skyline while I walk on my treadmill desk. Yes, uh, dude, treadmill desk. That is next level. Right now, I just have the stand-up desk, and I feel uh, I feel a sense of like I guess it's comparison is what's currently right now. Envy yeah. right now. Uh, by far the best best investment I ever made um, into my own health because it allows me to do the work I need to do without sacrificing my health at the same time. Totally get it. And doing marketing, you're just in front of the computer uh, all the time. I mean, is that roughly about accurate? Market, yeah. The, the, the biggest campaigns happen on the internet. So that's, that's where I'm hanging out. Love this. 
Um, Nick, like what is a day in the life of Nick Jordan? Like, you know, as, as the CMO of logic inbound, you roll up on, let's say the average Tuesday. I mean, what does this look like for you? I think, and I want to give context to this question because for many of the listeners, man, we do it all. We're like, we're the photographer, we're the, we're the receptionist, you know, we're the male, the, the male person. What, what, what am I trying to say here? We're the editor. We are the marketer. We're the CMO, CFO, CEO. And here we are with you, man. You like your focus is entirely on marketing. And so what does that look like for you? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm super pumped to tell you what the average day in my life looks like. Um, so I think it's uh, pretty appealing. But before we jump into that, uh, I kind of want to talk about uh, why I think that your audience should tune in, especially close today. And the reason is specifically because I'm not a photographer and I am a marketer. And regardless of what industry you look at or what profession you look at, typically the, those at the top of their field are not actually the best at what they do. They're the best at marketing themselves. You know, I would say that even applies to things like brain surgery. Is the, is the best brain surgeon in the world really the best? Or is he giving the most talks? Is he writing the most papers? Is he doing the highest profile surgeries? And so I think marketing is one of the highest leverage skill sets you can acquire because regardless if you're a marketer or a photographer, that marketing skill set is going to help you um, position yourself and, and, and create a bigger business than if you didn't have that skill set and and you were 100% focused on the granular details of getting the perfect shot. So is uh, even as we say this then, like, do you, do you believe that um, the best course of action is to really understand um, your market? Like even, you know, let's talk to the photographer who's listening. Is it the best course of action to understand their marketing uh, to, in, to, in essence, uh, really pursue that uh, mastery may be a little uh, hyperbole, uh, but to really pursue that uh, as a focus, or is it to bring on experts and kind of surround yourself with a team or is it, is it a kind of combination of both? Because I, I totally agree with you. I think that some of the, some of the most talented photographers in this industry are not the most sought after, are not the highest paid, and are certainly not the highest ones that are turning up on, on search results. Um, and it's oftentimes the, the opposite. Where do you feel like our role should be within that? Uh, you know, it's, uh, it depends, right? Are you an entrepreneur? And photography is one of, the, one of the ways that you see to create that entrepreneur lifestyle. Or are you a photographer? And, and uh, you just love photography and it's, it's the, the easiest path forward is to work for yourself. Um, but it. regardless, yeah. you know, I would say marketing is going to, you know, you know, like, like we both said, the, the photographers that are shooting for magazines, they're not fundamentally that much better than the people that aren't shooting for magazines and, and you know, good, uh, but they just have a better network they're, They have better brand positioning. And, and they have better marketing skills that allow them to get to where they're at. Yeah, totally agree. hundred percent agree, man. Um, so look at this point, I'm, I'm no longer interested in what your day looks like, Nick. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I like it. We started, we like dove right into this channel and I'm like, wow, now I just want to talk a little marketing and I just want to like open up this, this Pandora's box, if you will. But I want to understand more context to you and like your, your mind and how you got to be in this position. Like Nick, why do you believe that you found marketing to be, I mean, your, your vocation, like your priority, not only are you the working at a digital marketing agency, you're the, you're the chief marketing <laughs> officer, you're the CMO of a digital marketing agency. Why are you the way that you are, Nick? Yeah, absolutely. So we'll circle back on that. Uh, what's in a day in the life of me, because I think that there is important insights to glean from there, especially how I spend my time and where I spend my time. But I'll give you a quick background on, on why I'm on this podcast today and how I got to uh, walk on a treadmill desk while looking at the skyline. And uh, it started about 10 years ago. I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. Uh, I dropped out of college. I moved to Rio de Janeiro. I lived there for six months. And, and when I got back, I, I became very passionate about an idea. And I went out and I recruited a technical co-founder and, and I raised some friends and family money and we launched a product and I got on the radio and we got some press and then no one used the product. Uh, I spent two or three years on that product that no one ultimately ended up using. 
And so uh, that was pretty brutal. But when I went into it, I said, regardless of what happens, I'm going to learn the skills and meet the people to do whatever I want to do next. And I've consistently done that throughout the last 10 years. So our next startup, me and my co-founder pivoted. It was a B2B SaaS company. Uh, we got up to about $6,000 a month in, in monthly reoccurring revenue. And uh, the business wasn't able to scale. We ended up splitting up. And I ended up um, meeting this, this, the CEO of a 10-person startup, a little bit less, actually, I think seven people. And uh, I had no idea what he was talking about, but I knew that I loved his passion and I wanted to you know, go into battle with him. And so I ended up joining the company. It's in the Microsoft ecosystem, providing software to, to Microsoft and its partners. And we, this little startup from seven people grew to 200 people in four years uh, organically without raising any money by just making a lot, a lot of cash. And I had yeah. a very, I was very fortunate to not only be an early employee and put my hands on almost every project that was running in the company. My core focus was setting up channel partnerships, sell through partnerships with the largest internet and hosting providers in the world. And what that means is uh, I would recruit them and enable them to sell our software to their customers. And I had the pleasure of working with brands like GoDaddy and AT&T and Sprint and Time Warner Cable and all of their peers across Canada, Europe, and, and Asia Pacific. Um, four years into that, you know, the 30th deal I'm working on, it wasn't, it didn't have that same excitement. I'm more of a, you know, storm the beach on D-Day kind of guy than police the beach, you know, a week after D-Day kind of guy. And so company was big. It was going on its own path. And, and uh, I decided to, take a break from adulting and move to Thailand for seven months and focus on my fitness. Cause I, I let my health go while I was working on that. Um, and then I had a realization. I realized that, you know, business development is not where I want to be. And the reason is, is because the amount of impact you're able to drive is limited by the hours in the day. There's only so many customers you can talk to at one time. There's only so many hours you can be awake before you go to sleep. And I saw, you know, uh, one of my colleagues transition from a similar background in biz dev into marketing. And it was very appealing because with marketing, you can make money while you sleep. You can impact thousands of people at the same time in countries all over the world. And it gives me a lot more scale to drive impact on the organizations that I'm working within. And so, um, you know, I've, I've embraced the role and, and jumped into the, you know, chief market marketing officer title at Logic Inbound. So I know that's a little long and wow, winded. I apologize there. No, no apologies needed. Uh, it's only, it, it it was the appropriate amount of length for the amount that you've accomplished <laughs> in this time. So nice it's really to fun to, to kind of see where you've, uh, where things started and, and where you're at today. You said a word, uh, two words actually, that I want to hold on here for a minute and I want to unpack. You said you focused on, and this was at Bit, at Bit Titan. You said you focused on uh, channel yeah. partnerships. Um, I, can you explain what that is? Is this like this feels like um, kind of insider language here? So, like, what what is a what's you know after you, spending you four years in the Microsoft ecosystem, it's so natural. But stepping outside the channel partnership model is a very foreign concept to businesses because it, most businesses don't run on a channel, and what the channel is. And, and by the way, 96% of Microsoft's revenue is from that channel. So what that means is Microsoft is not selling the customers directly to make money. What they do is they equip over 100,000 businesses to go and sell Microsoft solutions on behalf of Microsoft. So that's everything from, you know, think of the, the tech support guy that comes in and deploys Office 365 for your business all the way up to the biggest, you know, software and hardware distributors in the world like Ingram Micro. Those people are all pushing Microsoft's product on behalf of Microsoft. And what that allows Microsoft to do is a, a, a whole lot more business with, with a lot less people. Now, to give you some more context, at BitTitan, we had 10 employees, but we had 50 uh, customers in 50 countries. And the reason it, we had 50 countries with customers in them is because we had thousands of independent resellers running around reselling our product on our behalf. And so the channel is this very powerful, powerful um, customer acquisition tool that can allow you to really scale your customer acquisition efforts much bigger than the amount of people you have in your business. And so, you know, to apply that to the photography space, a channel partner is anyone that has potential to send you deal flow. That might be the wedding coordinator, the wedding planner 
who is able to make a, a trusted recommendation to the, to the happy couple getting married on their photography choice. It could be the venue who says, hey, do you have a photographer yet? No, you don't? Okay, you're going to use this person because they're fantastic. Anyone in the wedding industry that has the ability to influence a, um, or, or anyone that has the ability to bring you into a deal is what we consider a channel partner. Love this. So I've been talking about this for a while. I just haven't been, I just haven't been calling it channel partnerships. Is this like a, is this an official term? Cause like, I'm always saying when you move to a location, when you start a new business, when you're in month one, year one, week one, day one, uh, find people who already have your clients. Don't start trying to find your own clients out of thin air. Go see who has your clients and partner with them. This is that effectively Absolutely. channel partnerships? That's exactly what a channel partnership is. And there's two, there's two over, you know, two primary models in the channel partnership. The first is uh, referral partnership where they'll just refer customers your way. They'll say, hey, meet Nick and and they'll have, you know, they'll have you go close the deal. The second way is called white label. And what that is, is they bring your services under their branding and resell your services with some margin to their customer. But they maintain the relationship with the customer. They maintain the billing relationship with the customer. They probably manage the customer. And you just come in to, you know, shoot the, shoot the video, shoot the pictures and, and help make your channel partner appear like they're a bigger brand. How you, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think through what that would look like as a, as maybe a photographer or even a photography studio. Can you kind of cross that bridge yeah. for me? Help me kind of my brain connect the dots for how that white labeling could look maybe for even a, a wedding photography studio. Uh, for example. Okay. So a wedding photography studio, maybe the wedding planner wants to expand the core services that she offers outside of just planning weddings. Maybe she wants to provide photography and and catering and services that a wedding uh, planner would not normally provide. In those scenarios, what she would do is she would bring you to meetings and she would say, hey, listen, this is my photography guy. He works on my team. He shoots for you know my company. And that's what White Label is, is, is uh, working under someone else's brand. Podcast listeners, I apologize for interrupting the interview, but I just, I have to give a shout out to two big supporters of the industry, two big supporters of the SFP podcast. And so I'm going to be brief here. The first is the Giphy booth. All right. So here's the deal. Uh, it is essentially a photo booth, but it is a modern, fresh, uh, new take on a photo booth. It makes animated GIFs and photographs. Now here's the deal. I'm a working wedding photographer. I am not a photo booth owner. And I want you guys to understand this. This is perfect. If you are a photographer first, out shooting events, uh, portraiture, that type of thing, this booth is amazing because it requires so little work. Like I've, I've had other photo booths. I still own another photo booth, but the Giphy booth is the thing that I love because I just get to set it up in under five minutes. It, it's like a, it's the size of like a laptop bag, essentially. Um, it automates everything once you're done with an event. Uh, it's such an easy upsell. And one of the great things about it is because it takes so little overhead to actually run uh, an event that I essentially get to pass that savings on to my client. And so I can I can charge less for it, do more events and remain so much more stress-free. It also has like built-in marketing tools. You guys just need to check it out. It is called the Giphy Booth. Go check it out at giphy.com, G-I-F, yyy.com three y's g-i-f-y-y-y.com by the way use the coupon code sfp2017 for some dope discounts maybe just mention my name dude you know ben hartley sfp2017 uh is the code uh to go check this thing out i own one and i promise you i'm buying another this year as well Next up on my thank you list is Freedom Edits. You guys, look, the end of the day, you can't grow your business if you are doing everything. It's just a, it's a fact that we all have to face. And to have somebody who's doing the bulk editing, by the way, when I say bulk editing, like I get to still, you get to still choose to edit the photographs that you want to edit, the beautiful portfolio shots, the stunning bridal portraits, whatever it is that you get excited about, please keep editing that. But all of the bulk stuff that slowly kills your soul please go check out Freedom Edits and have them take care of it because they're going to give you consistent results with personal touch. This is the thing. It's the personal touch. Like the intentional decisions 
that that uh, Freedom Edits, by the way, in-house editors, not like outsourced, in-house editors make, I freaking love because they're actually making intentional creative decisions and not just doing these like robotic choices where you get images back and you're like, why did they expose for that? They like like any normal creative would have understood that there was an off-camera flash and and done this right. Freedom Edits will do it right, you guys. I freaking love them. Go check out Freedom Edits. By the way, uh, it's freedomedits.com forward slash Ben Hartley. That's where you need to go. Freedomedits.com forward slash Ben Hartley. They're going to give you the first full wedding free, you guys. Again, just mention my name, Ben Hartley. They're going to give you the first full wedding free. Like, do you want to save a couple days this week? Then go do this right now. Freedomedits.com forward slash Ben Hartley. All right, let's get back to the show. So I do this with video. This is fantastic. I'm learning all these words and phrases to call the things that I do. This, <laughs> this is so fun. Um, okay, so cool. So then um, can you kind of unpack, Nick, some of the ways that you've personally used channel partnerships? Because I know this was a huge component to uh, to your growth, to to the growth of uh, Logic Inbound, to the growth of BitConnect, and, and then as well within Logic Inbound, your clients that you serve. Um, what are some of the ways that you've personally kind of used channel partnerships? Yeah. So, you know, regardless of the industry or how I've used them, the most important thing is that there's mutual value. Um, let's use a couple of examples. You know, what, why these independent resellers, these, these support desk people go and resell Microsoft is because when they resell Microsoft's licensing, let's say, you know, it's an email or whatever it is, it doesn't really matter for, you know, they'll buy it from Microsoft for a hundred They'll sell it to the customer for 125, but where they make all their money is, is providing the services. That's you know installation and mm. ongoing support. And so any kind of successful channel partnership means both parties are getting more value than they would not working together. Um, gotcha. Another example of that in the agency world is we do a ton of businesses with other agencies. Now, most people would say, hey, those agencies are your competitor, but if you look at the services they provide and where their revenue is coming from. It's outside of our core skill set. And when clients come to them, they're very trusted. They're a trusted advisor, but they don't provide the full suite of services. And so what they do is they look to make trusted recommendations to agencies like ours. Hey, I build websites. I know you want search marketing. That's not what we do. Go talk to Nick at Logic Inbound. Now, what this does is if, if it's a referral model, it, you know, it's always nice to be helpful. People like to be helpful. And so if they can make a good recommendation, most people are more than willing to do that. And then in a white label model, they are getting additional revenue without having to do the work. In fact, if you look at the margins, you know, we're doing all the work and our margins are similar to this, the, the agencies that are just marking up our rates at, you know, 15 to 30%. Yeah. This is awesome. So uh, how are you, um, or maybe even for the listener, like how, wh- what's a good way to identify like a great channel relationship to pursue? Uh, is there things that you're evaluating? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, it's exactly like you said in the beginning of this is who has my customers? That's, that's, that's pretty much where I start. And then, uh, you know, it gets more detailed. But I think after that, the next question to ask would be, well, how do you recruit them and turn them into a channel partner? Yeah. It's like, how do you even, I mean, let's even, let's go micro for a second. Cause right now we're still staying pretty broad. I, I want to really dive in on this because I think, you know, let, let's go the route. We were already talking about wedding photography. So let's stay in that vein for a hot second. Let's say that you as the photographer have identified, uh, maybe a, a, a planner, right? A planner that you think could be a great channel relationship to pursue. Like, I think so often photographers kind of like freeze up at that initial um, touch point. Like how do they even begin to open the door without seeming like um, there, well, there's any number of things, you know, to be assumed. Um, But do you have any advice for kind of initiating that channel relationship? Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's pretty simple. Um, You know, and and there's actually a bunch of techniques and, and we use a variety of them. One of the easiest ways you can do to create a channel partnership is send those person deals that you have, right? If I'm a photographer and I'm taking a picture of, a, of a people getting married, figure out what their needs are, figure out what services they don't currently have, and then go refer, go find someone to refer that to. And what we do is 
we'll find an agency or a marketer that we want to work with. Um, and we'll try and pass, you know, five to 10 deals their way and see if they reciprocate. And if they reciprocate, that's great. We have a new partner that does X, but if they don't reciprocate, then we'll send the next five to 10 deals to someone else. This reminds me of like follow unfollow on Instagram. <laughs> Let me explain. You follow somebody and if they don't follow you back, then you unfollow them and you go follow somebody else. <laughs> yeah. To a degree, right? A little bit. There's a slight analogy. There's a slight crossover. Yeah. So the, the thing is, is what I'm doing is I'm giving, 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 and I'm not asking for anything in return. And if you do that enough times, you know, some percentage of those people that you're giving to will give in return and you guys can create really great businesses together and, and grow faster than, than you guys might not grow working, you know, if you weren't working together. Yeah, absolutely. When you go into these things, and I'm sure it's different every time and every industry is probably different in different relationships, but like with a channel partnership, d do you recommend this actually becoming some sort of formal thing? Is this just like a, Hey, I got your back. I'm going to hook you up. Or, or is this like, you know, uh, at times worked out over, over paperwork and signatures? Uh, you know, our most successful channel partnerships are always formalized, but it doesn't start off that way. You typically it's, it's typically, you know, people want to work with people that they like. So that's the first thing. Uh, do they like you? Okay, great. They like you. Now, do they think that you're equipped to handle the deal flow that they send you? And if both of those are true, uh, you'll probably get some deals. And then, you know, it makes sense to formalize them if those deals close and you guys work well together. And the channel partnerships that don't really work so well, you know, signing paperwork up front isn't going to make them work well. So, <laughs> sure. so sure. you know, I recommend taking it, you know, taking it easy. Um, it could be informal at first. Maybe it's a couple of referrals there, but maybe that you, you know, you find out you work so well together. Hey, I want to white label you and bring you under my branding for the next set of deals I send you. Yep. I think, um, I think a lot of times, um, we become too short-sighted with, uh, with our value and what we want. And, um, I think we look for the quick wins, what I want to kind of discuss here briefly is, you know, at what point does it make sense to try to, and I'm just kind of curious maybe about your opinion. I know there's a lot of variables here, but like really develop that channel partnership versus, you know, expect someone to pay you for, I mean, like, look, what if somebody wants to pursue something like this with you? Like you, you kind of find yourself not on the, the pursuing end, but the receiving end, you know, I guess I'm trying to think of maybe a specific question to ask. Maybe I'll tell a story instead, Nick, and and I'd love to hear your thoughts on the story. Yep. I you know I get the chance to connect with uh, so many photographers, countless photographers, and and I'm all these Facebook groups, and I'm sure that photographers listening can relate. We're in these groups, and I always see people maybe um, you know complaining or or sharing a story of you know how they did. Um, maybe they sent someone a referral. And then they didn't get a referral back and, and they saw that person work with another individual. Or maybe, you know, there was a, uh, someone who they had been working closely with, with a channel partnership. And, you know, there was uh, headshots um, that needed to be done. And they're like, do I build a person that I have this channel partnership with? Uh, or is this something that I extend them as a gift? And, and, and what, at what point do you kind of have to uh, set boundaries? And at what point do you say, no, this is an opportunity to give? Yeah, you know, it's, it's really it's really subjective um, in terms of, hey, should I provide this person that I want to work with, uh, you know, a little bit of discount or some free services? Well, you know, it's, it's totally if whether you think that by providing that, it will drive additional business and, it, you know, increase the strength of the relationship that you have with that person. Uh, so it's, it's very subjective. And I wouldn't say there's, there's one answer there, but I want to, I want to give a couple more examples of how to recruit channel partners. I also want to talk about, um, you know, kind of how I spend my time because a lot of it is focused on channel partners. So the first thing is, um, you know, if you think about what a channel partner is able to provide to your business versus a prospect, you probably spend all your time trying to recruit channel partners. Now let's walk through it. You're talking to a client and you close them. That's one deal. How often are they going to use you again? And how many people are they going to refer you to? I bet it's a lot less. Well, if we're talking weddings, we got one wedding. You got one wedding, right? <laughs> you Hopefully. Unfortunate. Uh, and, and yeah. you know, 10 years later, they're probably going to meet another photographer that they like more than you by then. Um, so sure. 
So, but when you think of a, a wedding planner, she sees, you know, 50 weddings a year. And so by spending your time focused on channel partnerships, what you do is you create a much bigger pipeline because the people in the industry have a lot more business to give you than a single prospect. Now, look at that from the perspective of my agency. You know, we probably talk to 300 prospects per year and a lot of them, you know, the services that we provide search marketing is not the best fit for their growth goals. And so what we'll do is we'll refer them to someone that we think can help. Right. And we see 300 deals per year. So that's yeah. a lot of business that I'm referring out to people that one, I like two, I want to work with. And three, I think are competent and can deliver the things that the, the person I referred needs. So, you know, uh, with this in mind, then, I mean, this feels like it should 100% be like a a mass, I mean, I don't know if mass is the right word, but a majority focus of your marketing efforts, in particular for this industry, where, you know, we have one-time buyer customers um, who are in and out, they're kind of uh, in this wedding world, you know, for only a, a short season. Uh, it feels like as a wedding photographer, this, this really should be like the primary focus. Am I missing no, no, something? You're, you know, from my opinion, you know, we get over 50% of our revenue from channel partners. And so if, you know, if you haven't tapped it, uh, that's fantastic because it means there's this huge opportunity that you haven't looked at and that you could potentially capitalize on. Yeah. So the second thing is I'll tell you how this. we recruit channel partners is, um, one of the things that we've purposely done is we've created a bunch of meetups. We run about six meetups, 8,000 combined members. Uh, a couple of them are the biggest in, in their category. A couple of them are the second biggest. So these are things like startups, marketing, web design. We even have a, a, a meetup for event organizers. And now this is an asset for our business because when we want to work with someone that is several rungs up above the ladder, I'm not reaching out, you know, saying, Hey, sell my services to your clients. I'm reaching out and I'm saying, Hey, I have a meetup, a hundred to 200 people are going to come. Are you interested in speaking? And now what we have is mm. we have this platform for thought leadership that we can offer to people who would never normally respond to my emails and we get them in, yeah. they speak, we build a relationship and now we're doing business together. Yep. So find out, find out assets that you can develop. Uh, that will be hard to replicate and start building them. I mean, this is exactly what the podcast has done to be candid, right? Like it's the opportunity to provide value and an audience to people who myself as lowly little Ben Hartley in Columbus, Ohio could have never accomplished right there. I now actually have something of great value to extend um, and, and what you're talking about makes so much sense. And so even on that note, like you could actually, create a podcast for your local market. Like you could create a podcast for Columbus, like the Columbus wedding professional podcast, right? Uh, and bring on other experts uh, and other professionals like wedding professionals uh, as guests um, or, or a physical one. Can we talk about meetups for a second? Is that okay, Nick? Yeah, absolutely. And, and thank you for also mentioning podcast because that's the exact same concept, but in the digital form, it's, it's a very powerful. Yeah, I freaking form. love it. <laughs> I freaking love podcasts. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's so easy. So like meetups. So then, you know, I love this idea of actually like creating a meetup in your space. What, where do you even begin to do that? All right, man, you're for the people that are still tuned in, they're going to get so much value in the next two minutes. And two, uh, let's broaden the horizons. It's not just meetups in your space. If I'm a photographer, I want to run the largest running meetup, right? Because maybe some of those people are wealthy enough to hire me for whatever it is. Maybe it's running, maybe it's weddings, whatever. So there's value in creating meetups regardless of the niche because all of the people that attend are going to sure. need a photographer at some point, or they might know someone who needs a photographer at some point. So I want you to think a lot bigger than just, I'm going to start a meetup for photographers or a meetup for wedding planners, start a meetup for anything, and then be the community organizer. Everybody wants to know you. And you're going to have an a idea, lot by the way, I, I need to get, so, I need to, I need my brain to wrap around this. So if you're going to think bigger than weddings, like what, like what's the next step of a meetup for, for, for what entrepreneurs. Okay. Meetup for, 
you know, meet up for mountain biking, right? All those mountain bikers want sweet pictures of them doing cool stuff mm -hmm. on the trails, right? And now you're the, you're their go-to guy. They have a relationship with you. They know you can deliver. And when they need photography later on at some, whatever it is in their life, gotcha. they're going to tap okay, you cool. to do it. All right, keep going. Um, okay, so for those of you tuned in, the easiest way to create a massive community very, very, very quickly is to do what we did. Um, we run the second biggest monthly startup meetup in Seattle, and Seattle is a you know a tech city; it's the startup haven. And so I think it's it's a testament to to how powerful this technique is. And by the way, we did it in about Impressive. three to six months, very quickly, almost overnight. And what we did was we created a meetup. And we had a really awesome kickoff event. And then what we did was we invited, personally invited, every single member of every competitive meetup. So we must have messaged, you know, six to 10,000 people over the course of a six month period through the meetup.com messaging platform. Now, um, we basically reach out and say, hey, I saw you're a member of this meetup. Uh, you know, we're having, we're, we're a similar meetup. Uh, we're having this kind of event. And make sure your flagship event is really, really, really good because if people can't attend, you want them to hit subscribe to the meetup. Okay. And that's literally it. That's that's all you got to do is personally invite people from similar meetups, and people will sign up. And now we're at so 4, you said numbers. they just have to hit subscribe on the meetup. Is, is this a platform that you're you're building this on? Meetup.com. Okay. Cool. Yes. I'm not familiar with Meetup.com. Explain this to me. Uh, so meetup.com is a, a platform that allows attendees to find events they're interested in or, you know, community builders to build communities. So if you go to meetup.com, there's going to be, you know, hundreds of meetups in your city, everything from knitting to oil and gas to startups to marketing to, you know, accounting to whatever it is people like in Columbus, so then, Ohio. Okay. So you, you go, you check out meetup.com and you realize that there's already two other meetups in your space for the thing that you want to do. So why Perfect. should you do one? And I'm just thinking in terms of I'm thinking in terms of the audience and, and, and the sense of defeat that they may feel if they go to meetup and they're excited about this idea and they're like, shoot, somebody else has already has it. What do you say to that person? Great question. So actually the strategy only works if there's other meetups in your niche. We've done this strategy across maybe, you know, like I said, eight different meetups, 10 different meetups. And the, the meetups that grew the quickest and became the biggest had the most competition, right? Because what we're doing is we're recruiting members who have already self-identified as interested in that particular niche. And then we're just saying, Hey, you like that? Come like that, you know, at my event. I love this. Such an opportunity to form channel partnerships and, and network, uh, meet with people at this. This is, this is incredible. What? And I, I want to answer that question. So what's, you know, how are you gonna do it better? You know, what's going to be different about your meetup that's going to make people come? Honestly, you don't need to do it better. Um, you don't need to, you know, it doesn't need to be perfect. Um, if you just have a really awesome flagship, put all your effort into the flagship event. You want people to, the, the number one goal is to get people to sign up for the meetup because then you can email them and you can hit them with alerts for future what, meetups. What makes so awesome just flagship go find, event? you know, it's, it's all about the speakers. It's about the location and it's about what provided. So like food, you know, provide food and beer. Uh, get the best speakers you possibly can and hold in the location that's accessible, you know, during rush hour traffic when people are leaving work and going to your meetup. And that's, that's literally all you need to do. Um, the people that are interested will go and the people that can't go will subscribe. And now you have this large community that will hopefully come to your future events. I love this. This is awesome. What does this look like in terms of, you know, we talked at the very beginning of this episode, like all the hats we wear as photographers, right? And now, Nick, you're asking us to put on the hat of meetup organizer. <laughs> what goes into the pro like what goes into actually like maintaining a group like this? Is this something that's actually realistic to do or 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 do we need to consider, you know, working with someone to bring on someone to help us to kind of manage this this group? Uh, you know, it is it is a lot of work. Uh, you got to recruit speakers, you got to recruit sponsors, hopefully you can get them. Um and you got to show up, you got to, you got to, you know, help the speakers, make sure they're, they're, they're a good fit, review what they're talking about. So it's, it's definitely not a little bit of work. It's, it's, it's a lot of work and, and partnering up can, you know, it can work, but 
but it's not necessary, right? The, the, I feel like photographers are pretty diverse in the, the, the skill sets they have. And so this is just one of those, you know, notches on the belt also in the community building. I love it. So I'm on meetup.com right now. I, uh, I just signed up. Yes, I'm a multitasker, Nick. I signed up. I typed in uh, photography here in Columbus just to kind of start off. And this is great. We have, um, we've got maybe about two, I don't know, 20 groups, one of which is called Yes, comma, yet another photography meetup, <laughs> which is perfect. <laughs> this is awesome. It, it really shows you that you don't have, your meetup doesn't have to be unique. Yeah. Um, and then just to give another example, I'm looking at Lake Union right now. And there's a bunch of sailboats on it. You know, that would be a perfect meetup to make is, is sailboat enthusiasts, right? Because sailboat owners have a lot of money and they want to take pictures of their cool sailboats, right? And then you're the, you're the photographer that's, you know, that they know. And so they're going to they're gonna pick you. So I want to emphasize how important it is to not just focus on a photography meetup. Think about activities that, you know, photos would add value and then make those meetups. Yeah. And that you're interested in probably, right? I mean, you, you probably got to want to know something about sailboats before you show up at the sailboat meetup. It helps, but it's not necessary, right? Uh, as a, as a, I guess that's the difference between, you know, a, a technician and an entrepreneur is, is there's a lot of things I don't like to do, but I do it because it's going to drive the business forward. Mm -hmm. Whereas if, if, you know, maybe you just love photography, maybe it's not, you know, it's probably not maybe is, is appealing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. This is, this is so fantastic. The, that the move between, um, you know, creating, and I love how we're talking about this, this meetup and, and kind of owning that space and how it flows in with channel partnerships, that transition into um, building an audience, uh, of, of people that maybe could use your service and having channel partnerships come from that. Is that something that just happens when you show up and you provide value and, and it's organic or are there specific kind of call to, calls to action? that you deploy to really maximize the channel partnerships that can come out of having a meetup group? Great question. So, you know, when we think about channel partners, there's people who are on our level uh, and that are on the same rung as us. And there's people that are several rungs above us. And we really want to work with the people that are several rungs above us because they have bigger clients, they have more clients, they have more deal flow, um, and, and so if you think about, you only have so many hours in a day, spend it where the most opportunity is. Now, the way to reach out to businesses that are bigger than yours, what we found works really, really well is reach out for mentorship. When I reach out to these bigger agencies, I don't talk about working together at all. Not in the initial message, not in any of the follow-up emails, not even in the conversation we have in person. What I do is I say, hey, you know, you're the CEO of a 50-person marketing agency. I want to be you someday. How did you get to where you're at? And you position yourself where if they invest an hour of their time into you, they're confident that they'll be able to 10x you up. And now, are you still with me? Yeah, yeah, I'm right, still here. Well, yep, my computer, I'm listening. My computer looks like it disconnected. Anyways, so you reach out, you ask for mentorship, and you say, hey, if you invest an hour in me, my outcome will be more successful. And the reason why this works is because people who had mentors know how valuable mentors are. And two, the people who didn't have mentors wish they had a mentor. So almost mm -hmm. every time we've reached out to someone that is several rungs above us with a request for mentorship and positioned ourselves as fast growing and worth investing an hour of their time and they always take it. Now, does it always result in a channel partnership? No, but I'm not only doing one of these, I'm reaching out to all of the agencies that are bigger than me. Yeah. I love this. I think, um, I think one of the things that you're doing, uh, is, well, it takes a little bit of, uh, I mean, it, it takes some gusto, right? Like to reach out to another company that's, that's, you know, uh, essentially bigger than you, you know, um, from the metrics better, you know, they're fat, they're, they may be better on longer. Uh, and to, to make that request, um, I think so often, you know, again, man, Nick, we're, we're as, as I think solopreneurs over here with, with photography for many of us artists, I think we're so self-conscious or, you know, why would someone ever entertain, um, you know, working with us or mentoring us. And so it does take a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, of gusto to, uh, to make those requests. Do you have any advice to someone who's like, you know, 
to, to actually send that email or to make that phone call or to introduce himself? Is this not their natural state? Yeah, absolutely. So the first off is use LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn is is much easier to get a hold of people than than email. Showing up in someone's email uninvited is a little bit intrusive. Where people use LinkedIn to you know talk to other people. Um, so that's that's the first advice I'd give. Additionally, with LinkedIn, you can you know filter down to leadership of companies that you want to work with in between you know certain locations, certain customer sizes. So it's really good for finding who could be a good channel partner as well. So in terms of starting, you know, I actually had a very similar conversation with with a friend of mine uh, on Sunday night, and I said, "Listen, you know, you're looking for a job, and and even though he was looking for a job, and he's not in photography, he's in design, and in the, the same skill set and the same." lessons are applicable. I said, listen, you know, here's what you should be doing. You should do X, Y, and Z. You should be reaching out. You should be displaying thought leadership uh, with the people that are qualified to hire you. And he said, yeah, that's not really my personality. And I told him, okay, well, do you want to be successful or do you want to stay comfortable? And it's really a personal decision where if you feel like things that are uncomfortable are off limits, well, that's just going to limit your success and you have to be okay with that. Yeah. But if you really, really want to be successful and, and you want to be, you know, the best and you want to turn photography into a business that can support your lifestyle, just doing photography, you have to do the things that are uncomfortable. And if you're not willing to do it, you're just going to be, you know, the, uh, another photographer. And it almost comes back to where we started. You know, one of your, the initial replies that you had for me was, uh, are you a photographer or are you an entrepreneur? Yeah. It, and, it just uh, it just comes down to how much you want a particular outcome, and if you yep. want that outcome really, you know, badly, you're going to do all the things that are necessary. Even and I admit it does feel uncomfortable. It, it's not, it, but but that changes over time. It becomes your new normal, and it, it becomes very easy. Yeah. A uh, big takeaway that I've gained from this, Nick, is apparently I need to sign up for LinkedIn. I've been resisting this all my life. Be, uh, part of me dies every time I have tried. And so I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, for, for my particular you know, industry with, with wedding photography, it's just so much is this Instagram, Instagram, Instagram. Uh, and so LinkedIn is uh, it's, it's on my to-do list, man. You, you got to do it. So what you can do is you can find out all of the businesses that have the ability to refer you deals in Columbus, Ohio, uh, within minutes, right? Cause LinkedIn allows you to sort by company size, by location, by vertical. And then what you do is, is the, you're not, you're not just showing up once, right? You're not just connecting it. And that's the end of the conversation. You're not just connecting and hitting them up and saying, Hey, let's work together. What you're doing is you're constantly showing thought leadership. You're constantly showing authority. So you're talking about, you know, what makes a good wedding shoot? You're talking about some of the challenges that can create wedding shoots that couples aren't happy with. Um, you know, you're basically positioning yourself as the best in Columbus, Ohio. And the only way that you can show thought leadership is, or authority is, is by creating content. Yep. And absolutely. So it's really a two-step thing. Man, uh, Nick, this has been rad. I, I, there's so much more to talk about. Like, I mean, now we're like, okay, now we're in the content creation, but like, I just want to end on this. Like I, this, this chunk of what we just talked about with channel partnerships, uh, with meetups, uh, is that's, that's, that's a load right there. And you're, you're so right. That was a ton of value uh, for people to take in and a lot of actionable value too. Nick, where can people find uh, find more uh, from you online? Yeah, yeah. I just want to say one one more thing to, to tie the LinkedIn thing together and, and really highlight the value of it and the impact it's had and, and why you can't stop overlooking it is, you know, over the last 10 years of my career, I've met a lot of people and a lot of people already like me. But if we go back to the earlier part of the show, there's a couple of things that need to happen to, to you know, close deals and, and with either clients or, or direct customers is, they have to like you is number one, but they have to think you're qualified and equipped to stake their reputation on referrals or bring you into their organization. And so, mm -hmm. like I said, a lot of people already like me, but they don't know that I'm doing search marketing. They don't know how good our firm is. And so what I do with LinkedIn is I'm just constantly creating content showing that, Hey, I am actually really good at search marketing. And then people hit me up with deals. A guy I worked with, uh, in, in, you know, completely separate business, was like, I love what you did here. I'm going to introduce you to our VP of marketing. And I closed a deal with a hundred million dollar company 
because I posted thought leadership content that positioned me as, you know, good at what I do because I was already likable in their eyes. Yeah. Um, that's so sorry. Sorry for interrupting your conclusion of the podcast. You're, you're totally right, man. Like interrupt me all day. If you got more, <laughs> more value to spill. Um, <laughs> this is, this is great. Nick, we got to have you back on, man. This is so good. Um, Okay. So then, so then bring us up, Nick, where, I mean, where are people going to find you online? Oh, that's, you know, my, uh, that's, that's a great question. So you can, you know, I, I actually don't talk about SEO when I'm or search marketing, when I'm, when I'm doing the social thought leadership stuff, I talk about how we acquire customers and, and cool hacks like this. So if, if you want to learn more about how to acquire customers for a service business, uh, follow me on LinkedIn, Nick from Seattle, Facebook, Nick from Seattle, Instagram, Nick from Seattle. Um, or email me at Nick at Logic Inbound. Love it. Nick from Seattle. Such a good handle. So good. Nick, thank you, thank you so much for being here, uh, for sharing all your knowledge, uh, for giving me names to call the things that I do. This is, I've, I've learned so much from you, man. Thank you so much. That's, uh, that's fantastic. Uh, I, I'm really uh, glad to hear that I was able to provide value to you and your audience. Awesome. Podcast listeners, look, if you didn't like it, like if, if part of your brain didn't get so jazzed and fired up uh, and and uh, completely overrode any other thoughts that you had for the rest of your week, then I don't know what's going on because this was incredible. I'm so excited that you guys had the opportunity to listen to Nick. Uh, really think about this, you guys. How are you going to leverage channel partnerships? Is is creating a meetup something that you might consider? Maybe even a, even a podcast. I really want to plant that seed, you guys. Uh, consider what this could do for your business. Um, I, before I let you go, listeners, I've got something I've been working on, and I really want uh, you to be involved with this. I've got a brand new podcast that's going to be hitting the floor soon. It's called Do What You Love where uh, I have the opportunity to uh, to help you design the life that you want to live. Uh, learning from other people who've gone, they've stepped out in fear, and they've done just that. And I want you guys to be part of it. So go ahead to Ben Hartley, B-E-N, BenHartley.com, uh, and sign up uh, to get the early episodes as soon as they drop. If I don't see you there, we'll catch you on the next episode of the Six Figure Photography Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Bye, everyone.